Second Peter chapter one. I would like to highlight this book briefly. This book is called Victory, a seven-step strategy for resisting temptation and overcoming sin. Right? This is something every Christian can use. It'll be on the back table. Every once in a while, I'll just bring a book up here and just highlight it just for a moment. Um, these books are, we order them in the mail and we sell them to you for exactly the cost that uh, we purchased them for. So it's just to kind of give you an opportunity to get some materials. Um, it's a very short book. Uh, it's only 61 pages and um, it's very, very good. So uh, if that interests you, then it's $7.95. We have the price right there and on the front. Victory over temptation. Okay. Second Peter chapter one. And look at verse number nine with me, please. We're going to look at the topic today, character over comfort. Character over comfort. It says in verse number nine, but he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather brethren give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them and be established in the present truth. Second Peter 1. And verse number nine, but he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. Let's take a look today at this topic, character over comfort. Let's pray together. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would speak to our hearts now as we open your word. Lord, help us to see the truth clearly from Second Peter chapter one. It is very easy, Father, for us to fall into the temptation of seeking comfort over character. I pray that you would help us to understand this truth. Lord, let us see that we're held accountable for what we do with the truth. I pray that you would help us to grow in grace. Lord, if someone is here today and not sure of their salvation or they're listening to the recording, not sure of their salvation, Lord, I pray that today would be that day. Lord, that they receive you as their savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We were in the grocery store the other day. And uh, I don't know how you pick out fruits and vegetables. It is amazing sometimes how long people will spend in the vegetable and the fruit section. Usually, I am not the primary uh, grocery shopper guy. Uh, my wife is the, an amazing cook. She loves to cook. And uh, so she's usually the one that goes in and buys all the ingredients that are necessary. But when I go in and when I buy vegetables, I, I just, the first one I see, I may give it one, one, one squeeze. If the one squeeze somehow in my mind registers as, hey, that's probably a good one, then I grab it and I go, right? 
If it's a little too squishy, yeah, probably not, right? Or if it's just really hard, it's like, yeah, it's probably not ready, right? So you just go on to the next one, squeeze, yep, that one's good. The other day, I think it was in Longo's, I can't remember where, but uh, we were in the fruit section going around and getting our different fruits and vegetables. There was a guy that was standing at the cucumber bin for a long time. And he like, I don't know how many of those cucumbers he squeezed. It had to have been 15 or 20, right? And he just, maybe even two hands. I mean, just, he, it took, and put it back. And then that's why we washed our vegetables, by the way, when you take them home. You got to wash them when you get home. You don't know who's touched it. Amen. Come on now, preach on that for a while. It's amazing how picky we can be when it comes to our vegetables. Nothing, nothing wrong with that. Be as picky as you want to be, right? They're open for like 10 hours. So just squeeze all the vegetables you have when they're open, right? Praise the Lord. We have to understand that Jesus also is an inspector. He inspects us. He expects some things to be in us. When we receive Christ as our savior, he expects for us to begin to grow and to grow in grace. And here we've been going through our list of virtues, these are things that are inside the believer. These are the things that God himself grows inside of us. We're not going to take the time to go through and define them in a long way because we've taken one sermon, sometimes two or three, to go through each of these virtues. But if we look at the virtues that are given in verse number five, it says that beside all this, giving all diligence, add to your faith Virtue, which is the do, right? The do part of faith. It's not just no, it's do. Add to your faith virtue and the virtue knowledge. That part is the, the no, the, intel, the, the, the knowledge itself. The virtue knowledge, verse six, and to knowledge temperance. Temperance is self-control, right? In order to grow in grace, God wants us to grow in virtue, the desire to do it, okay? And not just to know it, we need to know it but also to do it, okay? But then also self-control, the next one into temperance, patience. Patience, we talked about patience for a long time. These are, these are attributes and character traits. We can talk about that in just a moment. God here is teaching us the character traits. He wants us to have virtue, which is do and know. And then he's talking about uh, temperance, which is self-control. And then we see patience. And then we see godliness. We're growing in that aspect of our Christianity where we are becoming more like God, right? We're growing in his character traits, brotherly kindness. And the last one is charity or that agape love that we have spent so much time studying. Just to touch quickly on charity, if you take your Bibles and we go to John chapter number 14, John chapter number 14. He's not these, listen, these things are not feelings he's trying to grow inside of us. He's trying to grow these character traits. He's trying to grow these, 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 uh, these attributes of, of doing these things. These are things I'm growing in knowledge. I'm growing in, in every part of me of knowing what God wants me to do, but also I'm willing to do it. I'm not just looking into the perfect law of liberty, the Bible says in James Right? I'm not just looking in the mirror and saying, oh, that's what I look like. There's no need to fix anything day after day after day. 
which is what the Bible says. It's like when we just look into the Bible and we never change anything. No, no. We want to learn about God so that we can become more like him, so that we can do these things and live the life of faith. And in doing that, I'm going to live a patient life. I'm going to live a life that has more uh, self-control built into it, which is really spirit control, not self-control, right? Um, And I'm going to show kindness to other people, specifically the brethren with brotherly kindness. I'm going to show the kindness and the love of Jesus Christ to other believers. And then at at broad, I'm going to show charity. I'm going to show agape love. Now, again, it's important. God is not trying to grow feelings inside of me. He's trying to grow character inside of me. Character is who I am when the lights are off. Character is who I am when I'm by myself and no one will find out. Character is not responding when someone is yapping away in my ear. Character is me doing the right thing because God is inside of me. I want to please him and he's growing me in this. Far too often we'll do the right thing when pastor's there. Far too often we'll do the right thing when mom's there or dad's there. Even adult children are like this. We'll act a certain way, do a certain way. We'll use certain words when mom and dad, when mom and dad are around, but when they're not around, we kind of like, you know, well, you know, it's, it's different. That's just who I am. That's just who I am. Just being myself. We've got all kinds of creative ways to defend our, way, uh, defend our behavior. God's trying to, listen, God is trying to get us to act in a certain way so that we're always aware of, of his presence. We want to please him. We're growing in a relationship with him. These are internal things. For example, in John 14 and verse 15, it says, if you love me, keep my commandments. It's talking about right action. God's love, if we truly love God, it's not saying, if you love me, then you will feel my love. It's not feel. It's not affection. That's phileo love. We talked about that for a few weeks. This is agape love. If you love me the way you're supposed to love me, then you're going to keep my commandments. So growing in charity, growing in these character traits, I'm not, listen, I'm not following the Lord so that I can have a more comfortable life. So many people are so confused as to what God is doing in their life. God, why are you doing this? Why are you making this so hard? Why is that person doing that? Why are you allowing that person to do that? I prayed and they didn't change and they went, they even got worse. God is not interested in, in giving us the powers to have a comfortable life. He's interested primarily in growing our character. Well, I have a lot of character. There are a lot of people that have good character. Anybody who goes up, gets up and goes to work every day has good character in that one particular aspect, right? It's not, it's not feeling it, it's just doing it. So we get here in 2 second, second Peter 1. And we need to understand that we're accountable. We're accountable, first of all, to accept Christ as our savior. The Bible says in John 5, 42 and 43, Jesus says this, but I know you that ye have not the love of God in you. I am come in my father's name and you receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive. Matthew 7, 21, 22, 23 says, 
Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Here are people who knew about Jesus, but they never actually trusted Christ as their Savior. They tried to follow him and imitate him and do what Jesus would do, but they never actually trusted Christ. For themselves, I heard uh, um, the other day I was uh, riding my bicycle and I had stopped for a minute and I heard these two guys talking and one guy was telling his friend, he's like, yeah, um, you know, this car pulled up to me and, and, uh, and, and, and he said, hey, buddy, here, buy yourself some groceries. And this guy reached out and handed him a hundred dollar bill. And maybe he looked a little rough. I'm not sure. He didn't. I don't think he was a person who lived on the street, but. I don't know if this hey, guy's telling the story. I'm just telling you what, the, what he said in the story. And he's like, yeah, and he was a priest. Handed me this $100 bill. Now that's admirable. That's awesome. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, Jesus helped people. And this guy just handed him a $100 bill. Now the question is not whether or not we hand $100 bills to people like this, like this priest did. The question is whether or not that priest has ever trusted Christ as his savior. Because doing the actions that Jesus would do and being kind and compassionate to other people and being as patient as possible and having character in our life does not prove that we've trusted Christ per se. We can try to imitate and do the actions as much as possible, but we still have to come back and do the will of the Father, which specifically in this case is saying, I have to trust Christ as my Savior for myself. Acting like a Christian does not give me entrance into heaven. Second Peter 3 and 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why hasn't Jesus come back yet? Why hasn't Jesus stopped the thing in the Ukraine? Why hasn't Jesus stopped whatever craziness is going on with all the governments and all the world and all the, all the confusion and all? Because he's long-suffering. He's waiting for the gospel to get out even more and more and more. He's waiting so as many as possible will get saved. That's his will. Doing his will, first of all, we are accountable to trust Christ as our Savior. Can you go back to that time and that place? You may not remember the exact date like I can. That's fine. That's not important. But there has to be a moment. Well, I've kind of always been a Christian. There is no such thing as always been a Christian. Your parents may have identified as a Christian family. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that to grow up in a Christian family. But that doesn't automatically make you a Christian. You have to have that time where you accept Christ for yourself. We're accountable to add these virtues to our faith. Second Peter 1. And verse number 5 said, And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith. We can't blame somebody else that we don't have these attributes. I'm responsible myself for adding these to my faith. I am responsible for adding these to my faith. 
1 Corinthians 3, let's look at this together, 1 Corinthians 3. It's not just we're accountable to add these to our faith right now and I can live a better life of godly character right now, which is true. We need to understand we're also accountable one day in heaven. He will ask us, did you add to your faith these virtues? Did you add to your faith these virtues? One day we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we will answer to him on how serious we took the Christian life. Was it something that was just something I was pressured into doing? Something I did when it was convenient? Something I did when I felt like it? Or was it something that I was diligent about? It's interesting watching people in like what it is that they are so diligent about. Some people can be so diligent about the, the, the funniest little things. And God says, I want you to be diligent about adding these things to your faith. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse number 11. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Meaning you have to accept Jesus Christ first as your savior. And then add to that faith these virtues. You see how it's the same basic template and outline. Add to your faith, add to your saving faith, these virtues. And then he says, in this particular case, he's comparing it to a house. He says, the foundation is Jesus Christ. And then you build upon that foundation. You add to your faith. And he goes on to say this, verse 12. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, those are the good things. Wood, hay, stubble, and we'll see why the wood, hay, stubble is not good in just a moment. But he's trying to say here, the virtues that he wants us to add are the ones that are found in 2 Peter chapter number one. The virtues of virtue, meaning I'm doing this, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity. I'm supposed to add these to my faith. And if I add these to my faith, then at judgment day, I'm going to stand unashamed But if I don't add these to my faith, then I will stand ashamed. He says in verse 13, every man's work shall be made manifest, which that word manifest means open. On that day, it will be clear if you added these things to your faith. For the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Now, if any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Now, these are, this is figurative language. Whether or not there is actually going to be a pile of stuff that represents all of our life and all of our work and then a fire comes down and burns it up and there's actually wood. I, that, I'm thinking this is more figurative. It seems to make sense here. He's talking about foundation, building upon Jesus Christ, the foundation. And then he's comparing how we live our life. The choices we live in our life is either going to be something that adds up and stands up against the test of time and not just the test of time, but the test of eternity. Or it's going to be things where you just lived for this life. You just lived for feelings. You lived for now. You lived for comfort over character. 
People can have these difficult situations that come into their life and our natural instinct is, how can I get through this and get comfortable again? God says, how can you come out of this stronger with your spiritual character stronger and more like Jesus Christ? Every challenge we have in our life, every single challenge is an opportunity for us to have a better judgment day. Uh, I'm reading this book right now. I'm about a third of the way through it. It's the name of this lady. Her name is uh, Roz. You can look her up. Roz or Rosalind Savage. Rosalind Savage. What a name. British lady. Rode single. Rode a little rowboat across the Atlantic Ocean. She was in an office job in London. And her relationship with her husband was starting to split up. And she said, the alarm went off. It was dark, 6.15, she gets up. She gets ready, showers, drinks her coffee. Her and her husband get out and they go to the train by 7.11, 7 o'clock. Get on the train. They just picked up their newspapers and she just had this emptiness inside. Like this is, I've been doing the same job for 10 years, 11 years. It just seems so empty. And the reason why she had been working in this, in this accounting firm and trying to make all this money is because when she was 16, she had the opportunity to go to San Diego and she saw all of this wealth for the first time in her life. Coming where, where her parents were Methodist ministers and she lived in pretty low economic standard at the time. She wore homemade clothes as a kid for a really long time. And now they had this, this kind of this, uh, this exchange program between ministers. And so her dad got sent over to San Diego for six weeks. So she got to experience Disneyland and she got to experience, you know, all of these people were taking them out to this, these expensive restaurants and, 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 and in these huge houses with pools and she'd never seen anything like it. Happened when she was 16 years old. So when she went back to England, she worked her whole life to get to the point where she could be really financially successful. And yet here she was at the age of 35, 36 years old, sitting on this train inside, absolutely empty. Yes, she had the money. Yes, she had the job, but she hated her life. And so what she decided to do, well, she didn't know what to do. She's sitting there and she's looking around and across from her sitting on the train, there was this older man who had a newspaper. And as he flipped the newspaper over, she noticed on the back of the newspaper, the obituaries, a very small summary of just a few sentences telling everyone about the person who had just died, their age, and just a few sentences about their life. And she went home that night. She got out two blank pieces of paper. And she wrote the obituary of what she wanted her life to be like at the end. And then she wrote what it was going to be if she didn't change anything. 
That was the impetus. That was the thing that pushed her off into eventually choosing to row her little boat across the Atlantic in this big, long race. And that's an inspiring story. And of course, that's just an illustration. The Bible tells us over and over and over and over again to think of our life in terms of the end backwards. The end backwards. We're supposed to live every day in light of standing before God accountable. We, we expect the person that grows cucumbers to grow them in such a way that's good and healthy so that when they arrive there at the grocery store, we can squeeze them all we want and we can get them and we can pick them we go home and eat them. And yet somehow we can delude ourselves into thinking the only thing that is, that is important right now is for me to be comfortable. And God says, no, no, I'm not interested in you being comfortable. I'm interested in you growing your character because the comfort of today is not near important as that moment at the end of your life when you're standing. Not the obituary, beyond the obituary. Because as, as amazing as it is that that lady rode the Atlantic, which is, I mean, something I'm admiring, and I'm reading the book, it's amazing. What happens the moment she closes her eyes in death? The obituary she potentially wanted may be written, but what about that moment she stands before the Lord? And guys, we as Christians, we are warned over and over and over again. God did not send his son to die on the cross for something as simple as giving us the comfort of good mental health. How shallow is that? That is so shallow. So that you can feel better? So that I can feel better? By the way, the secret to feeling better is character. If we allow ourselves to grow, we want things, we want things to change, but we don't want to grow. I want to stay the same and I just want to feel better. Well, that's how people get into addictive substances, which makes their life worse. And they're expensive. God's trying to grow our character. He is on our side, put his Holy Spirit inside of us to empower us. He gives us everything that we need. Look at what he says. If we go back to our verse in, in 2 Peter. Look at what he, he says. He starts in verse number three. I can't find Peter. Where'd it go? There it is. 2 Peter 1. And verse number 2 says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord according as his divine power. We're just going to briefly go through this list in verse number 3 and 4. These are the things that God has given us in order for us to have a good day on that day. For us to grow the character that we need to have. By the way, this process never stops. Well, I've been saved for 45 years. So I'm done growing. I've seen it all. I've done it all. No. Some of the greatest challenges to your faith will come in your senior years. That's when people start dying. That's when kids need help. That's when finances can be difficult sometimes. That's when people start getting sick. 
That's when friends and family start getting sick. That is when, with, with, with those who are most senior, God has given you more time to pray for those who are busy with working and with kids. Biblical. That's biblical. And to teach the lessons. We need our faith most and more the older and the older and the older we get. Well, I had faith while my kids were in the house, but now that my kids are out and they're graduated and they're okay, they're safe. Okay, now I can relax and have some me time. And they discard their faith. How selfish. To whom much is given, much shall be required. You think God's only going to judge you for the time the kids are in the house? Of course not. He's going to judge you for the duration of your life. Doesn't mean we can't take vacations and have a good time. Doesn't mean we can't have some personal time. But to discard and think, I no longer, I can now live a life of comfort. I no longer have to live a life of character. That's not biblical at all. He says, according as his divine power. Whose divine power? His divine power. Far too often we don't grow in character because we're looking to our finite power and not his divine power. Divine is not natural. Divine is supernatural. God gives me in his spirit and through his word and by his grace, supernatural power to grow in character. According as his divine power hath given. Given. Gift. He's given it to us as a gift. His divine power is a gift. It's not something I have to work for. He's saying the divine power is here. It's available for you. Unto all things that pertain. Look, this verse is so rich. You could preach an entire series off of just this one verse. Don't worry, I'm not going to do that. This is one of these multivitamin verses I keep talking about. There's so much jam-packed in this one verse, right? He's given unto us all things. Well, you know, there's this one area I need to grow in, and God just hasn't really helped me out in this area. Ah, nope, that's not his fault. He's given us all things. He's given us all the power, and he's given us everything that we need to do what? That pertain unto life and godliness. To grow the character that he wants us to have. He's not giving us all things to grow in all the comfort we ever want because that doesn't truly satisfy. By the way, everything that we consider comfort, if we think about that fire, can be burned up. Right? Can a house be burned up? What about a car? I saw a bright green Lamborghini this morning. Beautiful car. More money than most houses. Right? But I promise you, it can be burned up. One day it'll burn. One day it'll be in a scrap heap somewhere. Right? Or in a pylon on the 401. Just kidding. Right? God, God's not interested in, look, if you, if you follow the Lord, then you'll be so blessed and you'll be so rich and you'll be so comfortable and live in a big house. Ah, no. Why? Because that'll just, it'll burn up. It's flimsy. It's foolish. By the way, let me just... Let me just go ahead and say this. I read, I'm reading a book right now and, and there are a few statements in there that are just kind of sticking in the back of my mind. And I'm thinking, I have never heard anybody say that. And it's just kind of messes you up a little bit. It's something you meditate on. 
It is a mistake, this book was saying. For you to put every ounce of your energy into your family. Because your family is temporary. Hmm. Doesn't mean we don't love them. Doesn't mean we don't treat them the way God would treat them. Oh, I've got some looks right now, some glares. That's good. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. It doesn't say love your family with all your heart and mind and soul and body. Some people can make their family into the God that they worship. And their family is what they truly worship. Everything revolves around family. Oh, really quiet. By the way, the quieter it gets, that's an amen to me. I hear that a bit, really loud amen in my head. Consider that. What's going to be eternal? God's family. Now, what's amazing to think is that if my family and if they're all saved, it gives us perspective. We should be growing character, godly character. God's not helping me with my family. Maybe God's trying to get you to put your family in the proper place and put him in his proper place. There are some people that leave God because God doesn't do for them and their family what they want him to do. Matter of fact, there's been a lot of people leave church over the four years that Sparrow Baptist Church has been here because God hasn't waved the magic wand and healed their family the way they wanted him to. And God says, I'm here to grow character, not comfort. I'm here to grow character, not comfort. If he can grow inside of me what he wants, then that can have an amazing effect on my family. But God's interested in changing me, not me walking in like this is some kind of a fixed family shop and I'm just looking and saying, mm, I'll take one of those and I'll take one of those and y'all have some of those and put it in the blender. Wah, and then I'm going to go that down for three months and then bing, everything's fine. God is not a genie. By the way, the, the, whole, the whole idea of a genie comes from Islam. And they believe that there's a, an evil devil and a good one on your shoulder. And the word is, is translated in, transliterated in English as, a, as like a genie. Come to church, read the Bible. Pray a little poof. Grant me three wishes. I want this person to be fixed. I want them to love me. I want all my money to be done. And then God's like, yeah, I don't do that. What I do is I help you. I don't change things. I grow things. I grow things. I came to church for three weeks and nothing changed. How much can you grow in three weeks? He's wanting us to grow. He's wanting us to recognize the truth. He's wanting us to realize how much he loves us. He's wanting us to realize that he wants us to grow. And as I grow, 
I begin to see things differently. I begin to influence people differently. I begin to have different priorities. And that can have an amazing effect on my family. That can have an amazing effect on my marriage relationship. That can have an amazing uh, uh, influence on my church. And, 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 and eventually, that can have an amazing day where one day I'm standing before the Lord. And no, I'm not perfect. And none of us ever will be perfect. Listen, grace doesn't demand perfection Grace demands growth. Grace doesn't demand perfection. Pastor, I'm giving up. I can't do this. No, 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 no. Live in grace. What does grace want? Grace wants growth. Grace wants growth. I'm doing everything perfectly. And nothing's changing. Yeah, but have you changed? Name one thing over the last month. You know, it's going to be interesting when we get to heaven and God says, I gave you the gift of two years of COVID where you had so many distractions, but people died. Listen, people always have died. They've always died. He gave us the gift without all the distractions, without all the businesses, without all the events, without all the demands. Is there any discernible growth that you can look to over the months of COVID and say, God has really helped me to grow in this area. I'm not thankful for everything about COVID, but I'm thankful for this. And that God has used this not to increase my comfort, but to grow new character. We know that when we cut down a tree, you can see the growth rings. There are rings that indicate growth and you can count them up and determine how old a tree is because every year supposedly is supposed to put on a new ring. If there was a way for us to kind of cut through your life over the past year, two years, three years, four years, COVID years, pre-COVID to right now, what kind of growth would we see? Or you just <gasps> just holding your breath till COVID was over so you could get back to living a comfortable life. Inspection day's coming. He's given us all the power we need. Everything for life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue, Verse four, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. How do we escape the corruption? Through growth. How do we grow? Through the divine promises, depending on the divine power. Everybody bow your heads, please, and close your eyes.